Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, Reach Life Church. A lot of people traveling this week, but I'm glad that you guys that are in town and those who are coming back, the Harrises, it's good to have you guys with us. Uh, they went to be missionaries to Hickory and have come back to give a report. So just praise God uh, that we can gather today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 and 28. As Pastor Terry said, we're going to be, by God's grace, we're going to be closing up the book of Acts uh, this, this morning. And uh, as we are... Pushing through to the end, Uh, the title of my message this morning is, Can You Handle the Truth? Can you handle the truth? There are some people that would be said, you can't handle the truth. And this morning, I want to evaluate ourselves. Can you handle the truth? Because sometimes truth can be difficult to take, can it? Have you ever noticed that? When I was in college, I had a philosophy professor propose a a question to the rest of the class. And he said this, what if uh, the truth is or was is that everybody in your life hated you? Your family, your friends, uh, your classmates, your teammates, even your dog hated you. Now, he said, here's two options. Number one, would you want to know that? Would you want to live the rest of your life knowing that everybody hates you? Or, option number two, would you want them to pretend like they loved you, treat you like a king or a queen, and live the rest of your life believing, kind of like in the the Truman Show with Jim Carrey, believing uh, a, a lie, living in a fantasy world? Now, I know that what the answer to that should be. It's like, no, I want to walk in the truth. But, you know, sometimes truth is really difficult to take in, isn't it? Uh, kind of like, for example, when my accountant calls me and says, hey, James, you've been doing your taxes wrong. Now, do I want to know the truth in that moment? It, it depends. <laughs> Have I been doing wrong in a way that's going to lower my tax liability? If so, man, I'm so glad. I love the truth. But if I've been doing it wrong and it's going the other way, then I'm like, man, why did you find that? Everything was good. until I. Know, but now that I know the truth, I'm liable for it. And so, uh, you know, we love the truth often if it makes us feel good. But what about when it doesn't make you feel good, but it is still for your good? If you're heading, for example, if you're heading in the wrong direction, if you are lacking discernment and you're making unwise decisions, if you're, being, if you're living selfishly, if you're living destructively, if you're living in opposition to God, let me ask you this. Can you handle the truth? Do you want, in other words, do you want to know the truth? Do you want someone to tell you the truth? And I know everyone's like, yeah, I do, until someone does, right? Now, so there's the handling of the truth, in receiving it, but there's also the handling of the truth in delivering it, um, delivering it to others. And, you know, there are some truths, I want to be clear here, there are some truths that are just not, don't need to be delivered. I remember one time I was leaving a church uh, on good terms, 
uh, as a, their youth pastor, and uh, I had one of my volunteers come up to me. We were having like this party, and it was like everyone was saying goodbye to me and the family. And this guy comes up to me and goes, man, I need you to forgive me of something. I was like, okay. I, did, I had no idea. He's like, you know, all, the whole time I was under you, I just didn't like you, and I didn't trust you, and I just needed to confess that to you. Will you forgive me? I was like, yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> that, that was not helpful. You know, some truths don't need to be shared. But then there are truths that need to be shared. Truths like the gospel. That if we don't share them, then we're really not loving people. Um, especially if we don't share them because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us, the cost that it's going to cost us. Um, it could cost us a relationship. It could cost us our job. It could cost us a position. It could cost us cool points. And, you know, there's a, a comedian. I shared this with the men's prayer group this week, uh, Wednesday, when we meet at 7 o'clock online on Zoom. Just putting a little plug in there for that. But I, I shared with them this, uh, this week a, a quote that a, an atheist, he was, he's an atheist, he's a comedian. His name's Penn Gillette. And he said this. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody? To believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them. This is from an atheist. He said, I don't believe that. But if you really believe that, how much would you have to hate somebody not to share the gospel to them? Because you're afraid of your own safety. He said, you know, if there's a truck that was coming down, bearing upon somebody, and you knew it was going to run over that person, would you stop them? Would you... At some point, you've got to jump out and stop them. Otherwise, you have to ask, do I really care about that person? Do I hate that person? So the point I'm trying to get at is handling the truth carries a price tag, doesn't it? Um, and no one knew this more than the Apostle Paul. Well, actually, there was only one person. Jesus knew this more than the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul knew this. He knew that it carried a, a hefty price tag, and he paid a price for handling the truth. It, it seems like... His entire life of ministry led him into hardship after hardship. And for the past few weeks, Paul has been in prison. He's been in prison for two, two years in Caesarea. And it's all because he loved God, he loved people, and he loved the truth. And he handled it faithfully. And so in today's passage, Paul is going to be transported from Caesarea to Rome. I've got a map I want us to look at because sometimes we can hear about things and they just don't seem to make sense. But, you know, if you remember, he starts in Jerusalem. There was a riot. He gets arrested. So then they transfer him to Caesarea. Next slide shows that he's going to be, he gets on a ship. Now, he, he appeals to Caesar. He exercises his Roman rights and appeals to Caesar because he doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem. He knows he's not going to get a fair trial. So he appeals to Caesar and that means he's got to be shipped all the way to Rome, literally shipped to Rome. So he gets on a ship. The first stop is in Sidon. And then we're going to back out just a little bit on the next screen. And the next place he, he stops in is Myra. And he stays there long enough. I think we got, yeah, there we go. So he goes to Myra and he stays there long enough to board a, a different ship, a grain ship named the Alexandria. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 7 of chapter 27 in the book of Acts. And this is Luke's writing. He says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. So we have a, another map, a picture here of Nidus, of where they are at. 
When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmoni. Verse 8 says, We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. This is where we're going to spend most of our passage today in a place called Fair. Well, not, not actually spend. Uh, never mind, I shouldn't have said that. They're going to stop here for a minute. All right, I totally messed that one up. So they're going to be in Fair Havens. We've got a, a, a picture here of, of, of Fair Havens. You see that right there? So they're, they're sailing around to Fair Havens. Now, notice it's, been, it's a difficult journey, uh, the winds are not for them. It's, it's a difficult time to be traveling. Verse 9 says, since much time had passed, I believe the NIV says much time had been lost. So they're kind of behind schedule in their minds. And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. The fast that they're talking about here is the Jewish Holy Day of Atonement. It's also known as Yom Kippur. Paul advised them saying, Now listen to what he says. He says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. He says, if we get on that ship, it's not going to go well for us. We need to stay where we're at for the winter. Now, the the season that this is happening in is October. And if you know, even just around here, that's hurricane season, isn't it, for us? Well, it's a bad time to travel into the sea. And Paul had sailed a lot and was familiar with the Mediterranean Sea. And based upon the difficulty of their trip this far, they've already, it's already starting to get bad. He's like, we, gotta, we need to stay here for the rest of the winter um, because he, he knew that it would be foolish to proceed forward. But let's look at um, verse 11. After giving wise counsel, it says, but the centurion, this is the one that's guarding him, paid, no, uh, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow, you know, they're they're saying maybe somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now, Paul is clearly the minority here speaking. The majority's like, no, I don't want to do what Paul is saying, not even the centurion. And if you'll look at, notice in verse 12, it says, it's not, uh, I'm sorry, Paul says it's not safe to go out into the sea. And in verse 12, it says the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. Now, it's, it's not necessarily that it was, uh, wouldn't have been safe for the ship and the cargo, to stay in, in the harbor. Uh, there, there are safer places that they could have gone. For Phoenix was a bigger harbor, a, a, a grander city to go to. But rather, the reason that the, the, um, the crew and, and the sailors probably don't want to stay there in Fairhaven, one of the reasons is because it was a relatively small community. In other words, it's boring. It's a boring place to get stuck in. There's limited entertainment there. Uh, there's, there's limited comforts. And so this sound advice that Paul was giving probably didn't sound good when you think about staying there for three months. They're going to stay there the entire winter. And so they're like, no, we're, they're impatient. 
I think, to some degree. And they just want to get back out there and just hope that they can get to Phoenix, which is a bigger city. It's like, what, do you want to stay in Leicester for the winter, or do you want to go to New York City or somewhere big like that? You know, that's fun. Uh, so if you live in Leicester, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry you live there. So, and maybe you're here this morning, you know, and you can relate to these guys. Um, you're trying to get somewhere in life, but your ship is stuck in Fairhaven. You know, this is where God has you, but you don't like the port you're in and you feel stuck. Maybe it's in your financially feeling stuck relationally, professionally, spiritually, all of the above that I just mentioned. You're feeling like life stinks. I'm, I'm stuck here and your ship just isn't moving fast enough. Um, can I get an amen on that from anybody? A witness on that? Yeah, we're in church. I said a witness. You know, can I get a witness? Um, but your journey has been slow and difficult. Or... Okay, that's one thing. Or maybe you feel like the Apostle Paul. You've spoken the truth, but you're the minority wherever you're at. Wherever God has you, whatever port you're in right now, you're the minority speaking the truth, right? And you feel alone, and uh, you, think, you feel like nobody's listening to you. So whether you're Paul or, or whether you're the, sea, the seaman, the, the crew, you want to get out of there even though you know that God has you in, in, in fair haven and you're tired of waiting, basically you're tired of waiting on the Lord. And so you know what you're tempted to do? You're tempted to compromise the truth. You're temp tempted to lower your standards. You're tempted to fit in with the crowd. It's not worth this. And so basically what's happening is you're being lured out to sea. Maybe there's something, I know it's not wise, but we probably can get to Phoenix, you know, and, and I'll worry about the consequences later. And so we're tempted to go out to sea. And here's what I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning. And if it's not you this morning, it will be at some point where you're tired of waiting on God. Um, I want to encourage you to endure. I want to encourage you to endure and wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they who wait on the Lord, what? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, if that's you again, I want to say, wait on the Lord. Wait. You will not regret it, but you will if you go out into the sea against his wise counsel. Hold fast to the truth. Let's look what happens in verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, okay, it's, oh, that's good. It's the perfect time to go out. The, the wind's blowing gently. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor or they lifted the anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind. I love that word, tempestuous. I want you this week to tell someone, you're, quit being tempestuous right now. That's just a, a wonderful word to just throw at somebody. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven 
along. So we see on this map, the picture here, this squiggly line, we've zoomed way out now, and you can see this squiggly line is where they're stuck between Fairhaven and Silesia. So the, we don't know exactly where that is, but they are just going around in circles. They're out of control. They have no control of their lives right now. Uh, they're being driven along by the wind and the sea. Verse 18 says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison or to get rid of the cargo. So they start throwing cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. You know how sickening that must have been for them? Uh, life's pretty bad when you start throwing the cargo and the tackle overboard. Uh, it's kind of like if you were camping and you had a backpack full of $100 bills just packed in there tightly, and you get to a place where you're freezing to death, and, and that's all you have to burn and to keep yourself warm, and so you just start lighting the money to, because you've got to do this to stay alive. That's what they're doing right here. They are burning their money. They're throwing it overboard. Verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They were giving up hope. Since... They had been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, I love this. I love what Paul says. Men, you should have listened to me. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody comes to you, you give them counsel, wise counsel, and they don't listen to you, and now their life is being shipwrecked? And you're on the ship, too, with them. You're having to deal with it. Have you ever, and you're like, man, why didn't you listen to me? Or, if we're all honest, we've been the one that has shipwrecked things and caused problems because we didn't take a wise advice. But that's what Paul, Paul's like, man, man, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart. So he's going to bring them some good news. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. In other words, nobody on the ship is going to die. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. See that? So take heart. Why is he have, saying to take heart? Because he has faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we, but we must run aground on some island. So Paul is basically bringing, once again, good news to them. He said, look, I told you the truth back here, and you didn't listen. Look where we're at now. I, but God is merciful. He's gracious. I've got some more good news. If you'll listen to me, if you'll have faith in what I'm about to share with you, we're all going to be saved. And this is, this is something that we need to, to keep in mind here is because uh, sometimes we can share the truth with people and initially it's rejected. Initially people uh, might even be kind of uh, angry at us for sharing the truth. But sometimes and often God, if we will stay steady, if we will stay in the truth, if we will stay in love, often God brings around an, another opportunity to speak truth again. We can't, and the point I'm trying to make here is we can't give up just because we tried one time and nothing good happened. Uh, just imagine if that had been Jesus' position with us. 
how long did it take Jesus to persuade you? Um, let me just, how, how, many, how many times does he still have to persuade you, uh, even now, to come to him and to believe? So sometimes it takes weeks, months, years for uh, people to truly be persuaded. And when I say persuaded of the truth, I don't mean manipulated. I mentioned this last week in last week's message, not manipulated, not forced, not guilt-tripped into believing in Jesus, but truly persuaded of the truth, gently persuaded that Jesus truly loves them, truly cares about them, that he is trustworthy, that he is worthy of giving our lives fully to. Sometimes it takes a while. So I just want to encourage us as a church to handle the truth wisely, to wait on the Lord while remaining faithful. Let's stay faithful to the message that he's given us to share. Now, again, Paul has a a promise from God. It came through the angel, and he knows he's going to make it because he said, you are going to stand before Caesar. So he can't stand before Caesar if he is dead, so he's very confident in what God has, has told him in the midst of the storm. But the sailors still do not believe. Let's look at verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat, that is the, the lifeboat, it had one lifeboat on it, and they, they're lowering it into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. They're pretending to be letting down anchors, but really they're letting down the lifeboat. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, do the soldiers believe Paul? Yes. How do we know? Because they do something. They act upon it. It says, verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now, this was actually mercy to these sailors who were doing something that was very unethical. If they had gotten into that boat and, and gone away, they would have been gone away. Like they would have died. They would have perished. And so uh, Paul is, is looking out for the welfare of everyone in this situation. And this is a picture, I think, this is a picture of what it looks like to trust God and stay in the boat and to not trust God and to abandon the boat, the boat being his word, the boat being his promises, the boat being his gospel. Um, And so what happens when you don't trust God? You have to seek to save yourself. And when we seek to save ourselves, um, we often enter into selfish behavior and uh, faithlessness will lead to selfishness. So when we do not trust God that he's providing for us, we seek for another way, and it, it has to be upon me looking out for number one. And that's what these sailors are doing, self-centered preservation. Verse 33 says, As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. And then he gives the promise again, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they, and they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. 
Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So basically what's happening here is they see land, and they don't know what the land is, but they're like, we don't care. We're going to go for it. So they get speed. They're hoping that they can run the ship up onto the shore, but as they're going forward, they hit a reef with the bow, and it sticks, but the back of the boat is uh, continuing to move back and forth and be shredded and to break apart. Verse 42, the soldiers, planned, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Now, this, this is uh, uh, very understandable under Roman law. If uh, a prisoner that was under your watch escaped, then you would go to trial in their place and take the punishment that they had been uh, guilty of. And so they don't want that. They're, they're like, we're going to put these guys to death. But look at uh, verse 43. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. I think something's happened in that centurion. Paul has won him to some degree. Now, whether he came to put his faith in Jesus, I don't know. But he, he doesn't want Paul to die. So he's willing to risk all these other prisoners getting away. And he's risking his life now for Paul's. Paul has stood in the truth. He's handled the truth. He's been faithful. And sometimes when we do that, people are won over to God. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest, of, on, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that, look, all, all were brought safely to the land. This is a, a fulfillment of God's promise. When God makes a promise, he cannot lie. When he makes a promise, it will be fulfilled. That should be encouraging to us, church, as we put our faith in, in God's promises. Chapter 28, verse 1 says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And here's a picture on the map. It's way over here. There is a little uh, island in the middle of that red circle there named, known as Malta. Um, we're not, this is going to be the last picture of the map that, that we show, so I just want to go ahead and point out. You see Rome way up there in the corner? They still have a ways to go, uh, but they're going to end up staying in Malta for three months uh, to weather out the rest of the winter. Verse uh, 2 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So it looks like good things are about to happen. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Are you kidding me? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, notice that justice is capitalized here. Um, I think maybe it's, again, the NIV says God, the goddess justice. This is justice personified. Uh, they believe that if you did something wrong, justice was going to get you. 
Obviously, justice didn't get Paul out in the sea, but he's getting him now. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, did a Taylor Swift and shook it off, the creature, into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up. Now, look, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Very interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, think of all that Paul has been through. We can't, we really can't fathom this. Um, and I say, when I say think about all that Paul has been through, I'm not just talking about this, the count that we've been in. I want to look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 29. I'm going to just go through it. This is Paul's words. Here's what he said that he's been through. Verse 24 says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. You know what that is? 40 lashes less one. That's 39 lashes on a bare back with a, with a, uh, a uh, whip. 39 lashes. Imagine you getting one lash. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. I'm already out. Eight. Nine. Okay, I quit. You're like, I, okay, I will stop talking. Nine. Ten. Eleven. I'm not even a quarter of the way through. All the way. He did that not just once, but five times. He received that. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. So this is only one of his shipwrecks that he went through. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine being on a log out in the ocean for a, during the night? Much less, I mean, for a day and a half. On frequent journeys, verse 26, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, he's like, I love the church so much that this is anxiety on me, not knowing the, the welfare of the churches. And then he says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul loved God. Paul loved the church. Paul loved the truth. Paul loved those who were not yet in the church, and he wanted to see them. There's something going on in Paul that is driving him forward. And, you know, if anyone could boast of having love for God, it was the Apostle Paul. I, think, I don't think there's any question of that. Uh, he has been faithful. He's su survived a, a, a shipwreck in this passage. He gets on shore. You know, he's soaking wet. He's cold. He's hungry. And he continues to serve God because he goes and picks up sticks. You know, he, he's going to do his part. And just when you think it couldn't get worse, out jumps a snake and lunges itself onto his hand. And what do the, the people look around him and go? Something must be wrong with this guy. You must have done something wrong. And then it, it, it continues, our passage continues. It says, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him. I wonder if they were disappointed. 
they changed their they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay, the god is angry. Now no, actually you are a god. Now you know what these people are basing their faith in is what? Their circumstances. Their faith is moved about by circumstances. They are like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Um, their truth is subjective. It's circumstantial. And we have to be really, listen, listen, we have to be really, really careful about interpreting God's view of us, our standing before him based upon our circumstances. Um, because when the sun is shining, when things are doing, going great, what is it? Oh, God, I must have done something right, and God uh, must be for me. I remember years ago I read a, a post on Facebook. It, someone said, you know, I was struggling with whether or not God loved me, and I looked out uh, the window, and I saw the mountains and the beauty and the glory and the sun setting and the birds chirping, and then I knew God loved me. But what about an hour later, like last night, when the storm came through and it starts crashing down, does God love you then? Now, those are beautiful things. Those are truths. It shows us who God is, but we can't base our feelings or, or our knowledge of whether God loves us and is for us based on our circumstances. And that's what these people are doing. Um, sometimes bad circumstances mean as God's showing, yeah, I'm with you. I love you. I'm for you. So why is Paul in this place where he's at? Is it because God was angry with him? No, that is not the reason. Is it because he did something? Yes, he handled the truth. That's why he's right where he's at. Because handling the truth carries a, a high price tag on it. And it, at times it will lead us into trials where God will be glorified in us. Now, there's times that we have trials in our lives because we've been disobedient, and, and truly God is disciplining us. He's not like uh, beating you like an angry father, but he is disciplining us because we made unwise decisions. But there's other times you stood in the truth, you did what you were supposed to do, and, and the ship starts breaking apart, and things start going wrong. And that's why Paul is here, and God allows us to be in those. Why? Because he wants to be glorified in those trials. Otherwise, he will, not, he will not be unless we, um, he will be glorified if we will trust him. He'll be glorified anyway, but he'll be glorified in us if we will trust him. And I'm telling you, look, it's easy for me to stand up here and preach this because I was getting ready. For, I'm not going to tell you what happened this week, but I was like, yeah, we need to trust God when trials come. And then a trial came in my life and I was like, ah, you know, you know, I was like freaking out. The snake was on my, my arm and I was freaking out. So I'm not saying that I'm, I do this. I, I wrestle with this too. But, but I was um, encouraged that, you know what? I can confess when I don't trust God. And he's going to give me another trial. And then I can exercise my faith and trust in him. Well, in our passage, back to our passage, they remain in Malta for about three months until winter passes and they finally get a ship and go to Rome. And when once Paul gets there, I think he rests for like three days, and then he calls the elders of the Jewish elders to him that are in Rome. And so they gathered together, and he explained why he was there. And they said, hey, we want to hear more tomorrow. So they bring a, another group of Jews with them to hear his views. And in verse 23, it says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning 
till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying, look at this, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And this is the the last statement that Paul, that's recorded here that Paul makes to them. He says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and look, and I would heal them. And Paul says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And I love this part. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And you know, that's the end of the book of Luke, of Acts that Luke is writing. And he kind of ends it abruptly. There's, there's a lot of loose ends here, aren't there? Wouldn't you love to know what the trial went like before Caesar, before Nero. I would love to have heard the details of that. Church, uh, early church history, though, tells us uh, that Paul, basically, after he stays there for two years and he invites people in, he preaches the gospel, he's trying to convince people of, the, of, of Christ, that, that Nero, after two years, released him for about a year. We don't know a lot of the details in that. But after that year was over, they re, he rearrested him and... Paul uh, eventually is beheaded in Rome uh, because he handled the truth faithfully. Uh, he carried the truth, even though truth carries a, a high price tag on it. But you know what? It, it, it costs us, but it also brings great dividends. And Paul writes about this in his last letter, probably his last letter that he penned to Timothy. And this, this letter is found in 2 Timothy 4, 6, but I'm just going to read you a couple verses. He says this. He's writing from prison. He says, For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I love this. I want to be able to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is basically saying, I, I remain faithful. By the grace of God, I remain faithful. And I'm going to be rewarded personally by Jesus. But he goes, but it's not, not just me. All who will remain faithful. 
And so Luke, when he ends this book and, and he leaves it open-ended, maybe, maybe it's because this is not the end of the book of Acts. Maybe it's just the beginning or we are the continuation of what God is doing. You know, God still wants to unleash the gospel through his church. He still wants to do that. And last week, if you were able to catch the sermon last week, I shared a, a passage from that Jesus spoke. And, and, and I'm going to share it again because this really, listen, if you want to know what direction do I see us moving as a church. You know, we're all coming out of, uh, of a difficult year. We're, we're all sluggish. I think we're all kind of like getting off the ship and we're kind of on shore trying to find, find our, our uh, grounding. I believe that I've said this three weeks ago that God wants us to grow in three areas, up, in, and out, right? Paul was healthy in all three of those areas. And as a church, this is an area, the out area is a part that I realize that I'm needing to grow in. I have asked countless people, would you pray for me? Because this is an area that I know I'm not, I'm, I'm weak in. This, the in area is pretty, I'm not great in it, but I'm more faithful in that area. Because if I didn't, I would get fired for one thing. But, but I love the church. I love the church. But I need to grow. I need to be around people that need Jesus. And so I've been asking people to pray for me in that. And we've been praying for each other in the men's uh, prayer group. I know the women have been praying for this also. And I know that there's some of you that are praying this where you're at. Uh, but Jesus says in Matthew 9, 36 uh, through 38, he's ministering. He sees crowds in front of him. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. See that word compassion? He felt for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, I think that this, I believe that this is the area that God is stirring in us. He's stirring this in me as I pray, as I've seen that my heart was cold as a stone, as I begin to pray for this. Lord, change my heart, change my desires, change my passions. Help me to be like Christ. Jesus, live in me. I'm beginning to, to be, uh, I think we were talking on um, to, uh, Wednesday night. I've gone from cold and I'm getting warmer, but I want to get hot and blazing um, in a spirit-controlled way. And many of us, I know the truth, I know, I know our church, I know, our, I know us, we struggle with this, we just struggle with delivering the message. And I think it's partly, I think it's partly because we don't believe what Jesus said in verse um, 37, the harvest is plentiful. I want you to ask yourself, do you believe that? Because if, if you're like many Christians, and I've and it's been like this in me. You're like, man, it's too late. You know, it's too, we're too far gone. And I'm not talking about making America a, a, a Christian name. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about bringing people into to the kingdom of God under the Jesus Christ. That's, uh, people coming to Jesus and being saved. And, you know, Pew Research has shown that uh, 60% of uh, most Americans are apathetic to the gospel or to Jesus or to church. They're just like, okay, that's good for you. Cool. You can share the gospel. Like, oh, cool. 30% are open to hearing and understanding. 
Now, it doesn't mean that 30% are necessarily going to come, but they're at least, tell me more. I want to hear more about what you're sharing. And then that only 10% is the ones that are antagonistic, that are violent against it. And oftentimes they're the ones that have the microphone. So we think everybody's like that. That's just not the truth. But even if it was, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. And so I've had to repent of that in my life and say, Jesus, I have not been believing your word in this. I've not been trusting you in this. And uh, I'm excited about moving forward uh, as individually. I'm excited about moving forward as a church. And what I want to ask you to do before I give some plan of what we're going to do, because that's not what I'm here to do today. I want to ask, listen, before we do anything, we need to be praying. We might need to be confessing, Lord, I've been sinful. I have not believed your word. I've been disobedient. I've been keeping the gospel into myself. And uh, I want to confess that to you this morning. But I want to change. And I gave uh, three things to pray for last week, and I'm going to just put them up there again. I want us to keep praying this as a church, individually and corporately. I'm praying this for our church. I'm praying this for myself. I'm praying this for my family. I'm praying this for, for Terry. I'm praying this for all of us. Number one, that we will have compassion for the lost or the unbelieving, just like Jesus did. We'll have that same compassion. I'm asking that we would pray that. Secondly, that we would pray to have a desire to go out into the fields. You know what the difference is when you have a desire to do something? That's, what, that's why when Jesus says, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's light because you want to do it. Okay? Pray for a desire. Look, you can't drum that desire up in yourself. If you do, it won't last long. It will just burn out. But if it's the desire that's, that's fueled by the Holy Spirit, it is going to increase. So be praying for compassion. Be praying for desire. And be praying that you will become obedient. Desire will lead to obedience. And this is the wonderful thing about the gospel. If, you, if you're sitting there going, man, I'm totally guilty of not doing what I'm supposed to. Good. That's called conviction. Now, what you do is you confess it knowing that the only reason God brought that to you is because he wants to change you in that area. He wants to forgive us of those where we failed, and now he wants to change us. And so I'm excited about what God is doing in my own heart, what he's doing in the hearts of others as I'm talking to people, uh, as, we're, as I'm seeking to, you know, personally, I'm seeking, I'm always around the church. I'm seeking to get ways that I'm around not church so that, that they can become church and know what we know. But I would just want to encourage you all, pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for me, pray for Pastor Terry, pray for the church. Let's pray. Let's ask God, because Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. That is a prayer we know beyond a shadow of a doubt God wants to answer. But if we don't pray it, we will miss out on what could be in this, in our church. With that said, let's pray. Lord, I praise you uh, for the gospel, which means good news. I praise you that, uh, though the bad news is that we rebelled against you and, and we chose our own way um, and basically shipwrecked ourselves out into a place that we would have been destroyed, you and your Mercy and your love for us came down, came out 
and, um, and saved us by taking our sin upon yourself, by being punished for us. And you were buried and you didn't stay dead. You rose from the dead. And you have ascended into heaven. You are alive. You hear our prayers. We can come to you. You act upon our prayers. You are with us. You, you are for us. And we know this because you died for us. And so I pray that this message that we have received, I pray that you would uh, kindle it once again afresh in our hearts, in your church's heart. Lord, help us to be, as Paul was, passionate about knowing you, knowing your love for him, and making that known. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us the same compassion, Jesus, that you have for people. I pray that you would give us a desire, a desire, Lord, to be around people that aren't like us, that need to hear the truth, just as I need to hear it every day. I pray that you'd help us to be obedient. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.